In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Hello, hello, and welcome to Older Women Likewise. Um, tonight on Older Women Likewise, we are pondering another topic so foundational for our purpose for having been created. We were giving, given life to God uh, by God to love Him and to love one another and to glorify Him um, in that way. And so everything else that exists is really just in support of that mission and. Uh, Tony Carlisle will be presenting her work tonight on, on this topic, and she and her husband, Kevin, they work in worship at the West Main Congregation in Louisville, um, Texas, where I met her a few years back uh, when my husband preached there. And so Tony enjoys teaching ladies' classes, uh, doing one-on-one -on -one studies. When she gets the opportunity, she loves traveling and being outdoors and trying new recipes, planting flowers, and planning um, planning anything that requires the use of an Excel spreadsheet, which I'm hoping to talk her into some tutoring after this. And so she, <clears throat> she spoke at the older, uh, at the Women of Worthiness Weekend in Dallas, Texas, um, and was gracious enough to accept our invitation to come share her ideas today on the topic of practical ways that we can better uh, be better at loving one another. So welcome, welcome, Tony. Hi, Cindy. Do you have any corrections to my, I kind of blundered around this, uh, <laughs> this bio. So no, that was, that was great. Thank all you. Right. All right. All right. Well, I'm eager to hear what you have to say about how we can love each other better. Okay. So um, the wow weekend this year, the theme was um, from surviving to serving. Okay. So, you know, coming off the last year, year and a half, you know, getting back to just being in that survival mode to getting back to serving Lord and serving the Lord in a, in a more, you know, active and robust manner. Um, so my actual topic was loving others more or love others more. So when we talk about loving others, you know, as Christian women, I think we probably don't think much of very much about that. You know, maybe it comes pretty naturally to us, but the last year, like I said, the last year and a half has been really hard on most people um, with the shutdowns and the quarantines and the churches not meeting for some period of time, you know, in person um, <clears throat> because of COVID. And then the political climate has been so toxic and crazy. And, you know, sometimes we can get caught up in some of that and, you know, the question that, that we had for, for the weekend was, you know, just how do we get back? Um, how do we get out of that survival mode? And how do we get back to really loving others as we should and, and loving them more? And so what does that look like? So when I think about that, I really like to look at examples of sisters in my own life um, as my inspiration. And I'm very blessed to have 
many women that I call sister friends um, who are wonderful examples to me. And I'm just going to share a couple stories. I'm not going to mention names and call them out, but um, so and these are women from all different backgrounds, all different, you know, some work, some are retired, um, some are my age, some are younger, some are older. It's just, it's really such a blessing to have so many different types of women in my life. And, um, so those of you who are from Texas will may remember, or definitely will remember, I should say back in February when we were like frozen for a week and um, we had, some of us had no heat and no water. Or we had rolling electrical outages. And because of that, um, some people had flooding in their house. So I do have one very dear friend who, who actually is an elementary school principal. And she's like the busiest person I know, but she's able to get so much done. She, I'm really just always amazed by her. But at, the, at this time, um, both of her parents had been in the hospital. Um, her house had been flooded because she had um, a pipe, some pipes that froze. She and her husband had some pipes that froze that, and their house was flooded. And um, so she's very gracious. Um, I, she always cooks and does things for her teaching staff. And, you know, most uh, normal people would have just said, you know, I've got too much going on. I'm not going to do that. So she still, though, made the sacrifice. She came and used my kitchen and still cooked breakfast for her teaching staff with all of that going on. And I just was so impressed by that, um, you know, that she just went ahead and, and sacrificed and, and pushed forward and, and did that, even, even though she had so much going on. Another sister during that time um, who also works full time, she had one of the only houses in the area who didn't hadn't lost power or water. So she literally took in two families with young children, um, basically running a refugee camp out of her house uh, during that time. Um, I have another uh, very dear friend who, who actually stays home, but she stays extremely busy. And I'm all, I'm always um, just inspired by her, by the way that she, she's always doing something for someone else. And even when she's so busy, she stays busy with her family and, she can still take on a Bible study. You know, she makes time for that if, if that needs to happen. Um, I have another friend, uh, an elderly sister, although she would call herself vintage, which I love. Um, and she has some significant health and mobility issues, but she still always finds ways to help other people. So even though, I mean, she uses a, she uses a walker to get around all the time. But let's say we put a, a meal list goes out. She signs up. She doesn't cook anymore, really, but she goes and buys something and she delivers it. And so I've just always been, um, you know, very impressed by her and just so thankful for all of these examples that I have in my life. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read to you also an example from the scripture from the scriptures. And this is from um, Romans 16, 1 and 2. And it says, um, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church at Kinkaria, that you may receive in her in receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So I just think this example of Phoebe is excellent from the scriptures. Um, you know, uh, Paul talks about well, Paul talks about her being um, um, you know, she's been a helper of many and also of himself, and you know, really our purpose in this life is to follow Christ. And we can look at, you know, scriptures um, 
like in first Peter 2 21 where it talks about that Christ suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps and then Luke 19 10 says um, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost and then Mark 10 45 the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many so if we are to follow him as our example then we should be doing these things too and you know, loving others is really about serving and it's really about helping people get to heaven, whether that is strengthening the weak um, Christian or helping someone obey the obey the gospel who may not who may not know who Christ is. So in Luke chapter 10, we find the story of a lawyer who tested Jesus by asking how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answered him and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers his question with a story as he often does. And we can we can really learn more from that story um, than if he had given the answer outright. And so I'm not going to read um lengthy scripture throughout this whole talk, but I am going to read this to you because it's, it really sets the tone of this talk. And um, this is a story that's very familiar to all of us, I'm sure. And actually probably even very familiar to people in the world even, but it's in Luke 10 and it's verses 30 to 37. <clears throat> then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, <clears throat> and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So we really don't learn anything about the injured man in this story, and it really doesn't matter. The victim is not the primary concern of the story. The story focuses upon those who happen upon the beaten man and what their reaction is to seeing him. So he is a stranger to all who pass by, and he needs help. Under the old covenant, this was not a foreign concept. Um, they were taught to love their neighbor and to love the stranger. And you could look this up later, Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 10.19, if you're, if you're curious where that came from. Um, the priest and the Levite both passed by the wounded man, not wanting to get involved. Um, they knew what the law said, but it's the Samaritan who stops to help this man. So there's several things that we can learn from this story. The first, the first one being that anyone is our neighbor. Anyone who needs help is our neighbor, and we don't necessarily have to know the person. Uh, being a neighbor means showing mercy, which could also be defined as charity or love or compassion. Um, and then we are to go and do likewise. 
Jesus includes really any human being in the definition of neighbor. And this could be anyone upon whom the child of God has the opportunity to bestow some expression of love. So in Matthew 5, uh, verses 43 through 47, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the, the tax collectors do so? So this, this biblical text didn't obviously didn't command them to hate their enemies, of course, and yet some had really started to adopt this attitude. They didn't feel they needed to serve, um, I mean, to love certain people, um, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, for example. <clears throat> and the Pharisees looked down on certain people. The Jews didn't have dealings with the Samaritans. So, you know, they had all of this um, strife going on between these different types of people. And, you know, doesn't this kind of attitude really sound familiar? Doesn't this kind of happen? Isn't it happening today in a lot of places? Um, we learn from this passage that we are to love our enemies. And then verse 45 tells us why. If we don't love our enemies, we are not children of our father. And it says that God makes the sun rise on the just and the unjust, and he sends rain on the evil and the good. He cares for the unjust and the evil. Are we supposed to love the unjust and the evil? Well, God does. So we should. God uh, doesn't um, approve of them. <clears throat> um, but loving someone and being their neighbor doesn't mean that we have to approve of their behavior. It's just not the same thing. Our society tells us that we must agree with everyone in order to love everyone, and that's just not true. Um, but these passages do teach us that we are to love even those who are hard to love. And um, as I was looking at this again today, I came across another, another verse that came to mind that I thought fits right along with this, and it's Luke 6.36, and it says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So we should be considering that as well. Now, this doesn't mean that we trust everyone because not everyone is trustworthy. It doesn't mean that we place ourselves in a vulnerable position because not everyone's going to treat us as they should. Uh, but do we seek to understand other people and why they're living a certain way? Do we show compassion? What about other religious groups that we don't agree with? Can we find good in them? Um, can we show them love even though we disagree with their teaching? How will we ever reach them with the truth if we treat them poorly? Do we leave room for redemption? So one of the greatest barriers to loving others is pride. In fact, pride might be the greatest barrier. And pride is often at, at the root of almost every type of sin. It'll manifest itself in our lives through things like um, ingratitude or condescension of others or self-focus. And we can become so focused on our goals, our hopes, our dreams, our problems, our happiness, our frustrations, all of our own stuff, that we become the very center of our universe and we forget about God and about others. Um, pride has been a big problem for mankind since the very beginning, and we see it first in Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, um, 
Cain was the firstborn son of the first man and the first woman on the earth. And he killed his younger brother because he was angry and jealous um, that God had accepted Abel's sacrifice instead of his. Um, if Cain's heart had been humble, he would not have killed his brother. And even Jesus' apostles struggled with pride, arguing about who would be the greatest among them. In Mark chapter 9, we see the apostles um, who had been, they'd been traveling and they begin to argue about who would be the greatest among them. So these men who were with Jesus 24-7 still didn't get it. So Jesus rebuked them, and he, he told them that if, if they wanted to be first, that they must be last. And what this means is that we must allow others to go first, lifting others up and being a servant to everyone. We must cultivate um, work to cultivate and grow humility daily in our lives. So we're going to look at Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, and this is what it says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this is how we become humble, by putting on these characteristics daily. The Samaritan didn't view himself better than the man in need. He had a spirit of humility. A haughty spirit will cause us to miss out on opportunities to do good and to love our neighbors. <clears throat> a person who is humble will pray for others. So we pray for people we love. We pray about our concerns and difficulties. These are things that are close to our hearts, and we absolutely should be including them in our prayers. But are we taking it beyond those things that are most important to us? So I'll, I'll give you an example of in my own life of something um, many, many years ago, very early in my career. I worked with a man who was very difficult and very condescending, and I really had just developed bitterness towards him. <clears throat> and it made working with him very unpleasant. So I decided to start praying for him. And over time, I noticed that he changed. And more importantly, I changed. And maybe that's why he changed, because I did. I don't really know. But I began to feel compassion towards him rather than aggression. And we ended up being really good friends. So my point in all this, which, which I know that we know this, but prayer can change outcomes and it can change us. Um, as we pray for others, we may be the one that gets changed instead of them. So ask yourself, you know, are my prayers centered more on others or myself? Do I pray for my enemies and those that I disagree with? <clears throat> Very early in the scriptures, we see that God's people begin to request uh, favors of God for other people when they pray. And one example from the Old Testament is when Abraham inter <clears throat> intercedes for the city of Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. So Abraham's nephew Lot and his family were living in, so in Sodom at the time, and it was an evil and godless place. And when Abraham finds out that God intends to destroy the city, he asks God a series of questions about whether he will destroy Sodom if a certain number of righteous people are found, where, are found there in the city. So he starts with 50 righteous souls and then 45 and 40 and 30 and 20. And finally, he gets down to 10 righteous souls. And uh, the Lord says, I will not destroy Sodom if there are 10 righteous souls found there. 
So God answers Abraham's prayer for Lot. Now he did end up destroying the, destroying the city of Sodom, but Lot and his family are allowed to escape. And then another example is when Moses intercedes for Israel. So while Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God, the people were down below making a golden calf to worship. And the Lord was so angry that he wanted to destroy them right then and there. But Moses begged the Lord not to harm them, reminding him of the promise he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we see that God, um, in Exodus 32, this is answered, um, we see that God actually answers that prayer and he relents um, from the harm that he was planning to do and he does not destroy the people. So we can be confident, you know, based upon these examples and some that we're going to look at in, um, in the New Testament, that God looks upon our prayers for other people favorably and that intercession does work. Now, this doesn't mean that God will always answer our prayers in the way that we ask him to. He knows what's best for us, but he does hear us. And the examples that he gives us in scripture indicate that he does want us to pray for each other. So in the New Testament, we can see that Paul prays regularly for other Christians. And one example is in Colossians 1.9. And it says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then later in that same book, he asked the Colossians to pray for him. And this is in Colossians 4.3. It says, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. So praying for others requires deep thought about what would be best for them. And often we're more likely to pray for others in times of crisis. But the prayers that we just looked at from Paul are not focused on crisis, but spiritual matters. And Paul prayed for their spiritual growth. And then he asked for prayers to be able to preach the word to others. <clears throat> so we certainly need to pray in times of crisis. I don't think we any of us would say that we, we shouldn't do that. Uh, but we also need to remember uh, to pray for others on a daily basis, regardless of what's going on in their lives, and especially for their spiritual well-being. When we pray for someone, we think about their needs and what is best for them. And it's really a way for us to focus less on ourselves and more on others. So something that I do um, that really helps me to remember to pray for others is I keep a little um, journal. And I just put the date at the top. And then each day I write people that I want to remember to pray for. Um, and I'll also, if I see somebody ask for prayers on Facebook or social media, I'll also add that to the list um, because I want to remember to pray for them. And if I tell them that I'm going to pray for you, um, I mean, I'm sure that we, we all probably have forgotten sometimes. And I feel so bad when I do that. So that's why I started writing it down. I write it down and I, I look at it daily so that I do remember to actually pray for, for, for people that I want to pray for and that I have told that I'm going to pray for. And then it's also helpful to look back on that, to, you know, to see how those prayers are, have been answered. And that can be really in, encouraging. So praying is actually one way that we can serve others, and it's pretty easy to do. We can do it anytime or anywhere. It does require some discipline to develop a rich prayer life, um, but it's a fairly easy thing to do. 
Um, and one thing I started doing when my children were very little is I, I just, I got up very early in the morning. Um, and sometimes I had to get up really early, really early to be uh, one of them in particular. Um, but when I started doing that, it just became like a sanctuary for me. I just, it became uh, something that I craved and it really helped me to start my, all of my days better. And I still do that. Sometimes we are empty nesters. And so sometimes I don't, I don't get up as early as I used to. Um, but I do try to do that daily. And it's, it's a, it's a great habit to have. And that's not to say that you, that you have to do it first thing in the morning that may not be what's best for you. Uh, but for me, it always helped me to get through the day and to start my day um, on the right track. So I would encourage you to develop some kind of habit like that if you haven't. So the other thing we need to do is put action to our prayers um, and begin to do what we can to serve others in a physical way. So the Bible calls this good works. We are created for good works. Christ saved us in order that we could do good works. So Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God expects us to do good works for others. <clears throat> And serving others is easy if we don't make it hard. You know, there's something that we all can do, and serving doesn't require big gestures. Sometimes small things can be big things. And we can, sometimes I think we can get caught up in thinking that the little things don't matter, or maybe comparing ourselves to the ways in which others serve, thinking that our serving has to be a certain way. Um, we're all at different stages in this life. Um, some of us have jobs outside of the home. Some of us don't. Some of us have small children, teenagers. Some of us um, are empty nesters. We have aging parents. Uh, maybe we have health problems or various other hardships. And whether we're single or we're married, we all have responsibilities. And sometimes life just gets difficult. Um, and we find that our time just gets limited. So you're, we're gonna have, everybody's going to have times in their lives where, where they, they have an abundant, abundant, sorry, abundance of time to serve um, and other times when they just their time's more limited um, but maybe during those times you just maybe you send you just send cards or you you do, you have a quick call you know maybe maybe you're not doing as as big of things as you normally would and that's okay um, but we do what we can when we can and you know remember that there may be times when you need to be on the receiving end of serving allowing your sisters to do that for you. Um, having a servant's heart is about being observant, really. It's um, look noticing when people come to your worship services. Talk to them. Greet them. You know, offer to help someone. Um, see a need and fill it. Don't just sit back and wait for somebody else to do something. Um, just take care of it. Listen to someone clean up messes, you know, it's just, it's just those simple things. Um, and if we're, if we're doing these kind of things, then we're able to focus less on ourselves and we'll be able to see the needs of others. And if you're not serving others, or maybe you consider it a burden, you really need to ask yourself why, um, really spend some time thinking about this. Am I weak spiritually? Am I prideful? Do I feel like what I do isn't important? Am I looking at it all wrong, thinking I have to be doing certain things in order to serve? Um, any of these things can really hinder us from serving others as we should. 
Um, and this week I, I had a Facebook memory pop up and it was a quote and I thought it was really um, appropriate to this discussion. And it said to make a difference in someone's life, you don't have to be brilliant, rich or perfect. You just have to care. And I, I thought that was I mean, isn't that the truth? You just have to care. Um, do something. <clears throat> the greatest example of humbly serving others is when our Lord Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And this is found in John chapter 13. So to set up this scene, this is at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he he actually would be betrayed by one of his own on the very night that he washed the feet of the disciples, including the feet of the one who would betray him. So the next day he would be put to death on a cross. It was his last chance to show these sometimes prideful men what kind of humility it would take to lead people in his kingdom. Jesus chose the least likely thing for a king to do. It was a servant's job to wash feet. It was the lowest thing he could do. So he had already told his disciples that he had come to serve. That's why he was here. That was his purpose. And he is giving his disciples a lesson in his purpose. When Jesus is finished washing the disciples' feet, this is what he tells them in John 13, 15. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Does this sound familiar? It sounds very similar to go and do likewise that we read at the end of the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's talk about two areas that can really hinder our effectiveness in showing love to others. Um, it's failure to consider the other person's point of view and then not listening or failing, failing to hold our tongues when we need to. So the humble person will try to put herself in the other person's shoes, having the humility to admit that I'm not always right. I don't have all the answers. I don't have to be in control. Um, that all goes a long way in loving others and pursuing peace with all people. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So living at peace with people means that we try to give the benefit of the doubt. People learn and mature at different rates and have different backgrounds. And you really just never know what people are going through. Always treat them with patience and love um, because they really may be carrying a tremendous burden that you just don't know about. And when you feel frustrated with someone, be willing to consider their side and walk in their shoes. And remember the last part of, of the verse I just read, Hebrews 12, 14, without peace, no one will see the Lord. This is a pretty stern warning. So in Acts chapter 18, we learn um, of a man named Apollos. Um, and the scriptures tell us that he was an eloquent speaker and he was mighty in the scriptures. But he was teaching only about the baptism of John. And apparently he had not been taught about baptism into Christ. So Priscilla and Aquila heard him preach in Ephesus and they took him aside privately to teach him correctly. And then he leaves Ephesus and he goes on to Achaia. And when he left, the Ephesian brethren wrote to the disciples in Achaia about how much he had helped them and encouraged them uh, to accept Apollos. And it is noted that he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So from this example, we can gain some valuable insight into considering the other side, especially in both giving and receiving correction. 
So we need to talk with people privately. Don't embarrass them. Don't call them out in front of people. Um, you know, pull them aside and talk to them privately when you need to. You know, consider their feelings. Consider that they may not even realize they've made a mistake. They may not know any better. And then also, if you're the recipient of such a talk, um, receive it graciously. Assume that it's done out of love and don't get defensive. Even if the other person is not doing such a good job of it, um, trust that they're coming to you in love and realize this is hard for them too. Um, Apollos must have responded well to receiving this correction since he went on to Achaia with the blessings of his Ephesian brethren, and he continued preaching boldly. As far as we can tell from the scriptures, he took what they said graciously and he went on preaching boldly the word of God. So we can't really talk about considering others without mentioning the biblical definition of love. And even though we're all probably very familiar with it, I'm going to read it again. And this is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And it says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we may have read this so many times that we just kind of gloss over it. So take some time to read it again and insert your name in the place of the word love. So for example, Tony is patient and kind. Tony does not envy or boast. So take some time to do that on your own. And then, you know, ask yourself and be honest. Do these verses describe me? Am I patient? Do I envy someone else? Am I rude or irritable? It's a powerful exercise in self-examination. And if we truly take the time to meditate on it, I think we can all probably find something that we can work on. So when we teach the little kids in Bible class, we often talk to them about the importance of holding our tongues and listening. And we tell them God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And it helps them to remember to listen more than they talk. And it's probably even more applicable to us as adults um, because we really should know better. And still we all make mistakes and we learn from scriptures over and over that the tongue is very hard to tame. The book of James is a great place to start. And I just, this is one of my very favorite books in the whole Bible. It's so tiny and yet it's so practical and it's got so much good stuff in there. And there's just, there's just no fluff. It just tells it like it is. And I, I appreciate that about it. It's, it's just so easy to read, but James one uh, nineteen says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. And then James one twenty six says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. So if we don't control our tongues, we're deluding ourselves, deceiving our own hearts, and our religion is worthless. So we can love others and serve others, and it's all worthless if we fail to control our tongues. So that's pretty serious. Um, there's just a ton of stuff in the book of Proverbs, so I would encourage you to go and do some searching there on, you know, the use of our tongues. But one of my favorite, one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 17, 28. And it says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips and he is deemed intelligence, intelligent. Um, so even a foolish person is considered wise when he keeps quiet. 
holding our tongues, I think, could also apply on social media. So I would encourage you to really think about that when you get ready to post something that might, you know, ruffle some feathers or cause someone to you know, feel badly or maybe cause them to look at you differently. Because just just remember that all those people out there, all of them are not Christians. And, you know, if you if you ruin your influence with them, I mean, you might you might ruin your opportunity to share the gospel with them. So just be cautious when you're when you're posting things on on social media. So the best way that we can work on loving others more is to work on emulating the Samaritan. Even worldly people know this story, and it's because it's so powerful on so many levels. Don't allow your religion to make you haughty by passing, just passing by someone who needs your help. So I'm going to close with this passage in Romans 12, and I think it sums it up really nicely. Um, and it's Romans 12, 10 through 18. If you'll just bear with me, I'm going to read it. Um, and I would encourage you to go and read it on your own as well. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So again, I would encourage you to go and read and meditate on these verses and then go and do likewise. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Wow. What would the church look like? What would the world look like if we lived according to what Jesus said about loving one another? Such, such an important, important uh, topic tonight. And I loved your point about putting yourself in another person's shoes, imagining what it's like to be them and reading what you just posted online. Um, if you're needing correction, imagine how would you want to be corrected? And I think that's a great practical way of looking at your own heart and um, treating others lovingly the way that you would want to be treated. Um, I also loved your point about praying for others as a way, if you're having a hard time loving someone's beginning to pray for them and how that can so soften our hearts towards them. Yes. Brilliant. Love that. And the prayer journal, always a fan of the prayer journal because yeah, we can't remember. <laughs> we can do our best to remember who we said we're going to pray for. And it really does grow love in our hearts as we're remem remembering their struggles and such. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And loved it. Very useful. Thank you. Yes. So I'd like to remind everyone that we are a sister program to a live internet program called Answering Religious Error. And you can see that on Facebook every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And currently there's a panel there that is discussed that is discussing the practical ideas of keeping your head on straight. We all need that, right? <laughs> keeping your head on straight right now in this, you know, situation 
in our culture and in politics and such. So on Wednesdays, the same panel on answering religious error answers your Bible questions live. Um, so you can private message any Bible question to them. And um, just like our program, the recordings are saved on YouTube and then past recordings, you can kind of look them up on Facebook in the past. And so that is everything we have for our listeners tonight. And so thanks again, Tony. And thank you. Thank you to our listeners for joining us tonight. Good night. Thanks, Cindy.